0: Hi, I'm Doug. I'll do the second reading for us today. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 24. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the eagerness of others. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with him our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, He is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, we have been studying 2 Corinthians for about two months, and I hope it has been the case for you too, that just at the right time, God has the right word for us to hear just when we need to hear it. Well, as we study this passage today, let us ask God for his help once again. Let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that today you'll be our guide, our wisdom, and our teacher as we sit under your word and learn from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are talking about money, finances, giving and generosity. It's in fact not very often that I speak on this topic, not because it's unimportant. It's in fact very important. And it doesn't really matter whether you believe in God or not. You see, the way we think about money and the way we use our money reflects on our heart and what our heart is like just like what we say and how we act and what we desire reflects our heart so too our bank statements our biggest expenses reflects upon our heart and not only that it speaks volumes to what our relationship with God is like now like I said I don't very often have a whole sermon just on money unless it's what the passage is about In fact, I think the only other time I had a whole sermon on money and finances was seven years ago in 2013 when we looked at Malachi. And because it's been such a long time since thinking about money, you're going to get two weeks of it, two sermons, just to make up for lost time. But of course, we're really just guided by Scripture. 2 Corinthians 8 this week and 2 Corinthians 9 next week. And so money, finances, giving, generosity... And in spending these next two weeks on this topic, we must never, ever think God needs our money. Not at all. Nothing can be further from the truth. In Psalm 50, we read before, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. Everything in this entire world belongs to God already. The entire universe belongs to God. And so in thinking about money, we can never come with the presupposition that God wants What is already his. And we're talking about this not for the sake of God, but really for our own sake, for our own hearts. And so let's look at this passage. First, the example of generosity. Now, if you were to describe what an example of generosity would look like, where would you go? What type of Christian? What type of churches? Where would you go for that example? Well, I suspect for many of us, we might think, well, we'll go to the example of the wealthy Christians or the wealthy churches in the wealthy suburbs. You know, the, the Turaks and the South Yarras and perhaps I can't even include Surrey Hills. But look at the example Paul uses here. He speaks of the Macedonian churches. Now, what we're meant to understand about the Macedonian churches was that it was not a wealthy church. They weren't wealthy churches, nor were they living in a wealthy region. Unlike Corinth, which was a bustling port with a lot of trade, which meant a lot of wealth. But the Macedonians, think about suburbs around Melbourne, where the property prices are much lower, where there is high unemployment. Not the middle-upper-class professionals, but the parts that are just trying to make ends meet think about that while Paul here picks them out for their rich generosity not the Turaks or South Yarras or even the Surrey Hills type of suburbs not the rich cosmopolitan cities of the Mediterranean but the Macedonian churches and what's even more shocking here as we look at this passage they were experiencing severe trial difficulties from persecution the afflictions of life, but that did not hinder their generosity. They did not think, well, let us just sort ourselves out first and then we learn to be generous. No, as tough as life is now, we can still be generous. And not only that, they were experiencing extreme poverty. Not just poverty, but the word is extreme poverty. The word used, here expresses the lowest level of poverty. And so not the middle class, but the low class. And being poor did not stop them from being generous. Which just shows the the flaw that shapes many Christians. Have you ever heard or said yourself, Well, I'll only start being generous. I'll only start giving when I earn more when I start my full-time job or when I get my promotion. You see, that's an excuse. Do you remember the story of the poor widow who put in two small copper coins into the temple treasury? Jesus said, The others gave out of their wealth. It made no dent to all their wealth anyway. It made no dent to their pockets, to their lifestyle. But she, this widow, gave out of her poverty. You see, the example of generosity we see here is that it is unhindered by how much money you have nor how difficult your life might be. Have a look at verses 2 to 3 with me. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability now I wonder whether that can be said of us and our church even beyond our ability they really stretched themselves to be generous they didn't hold back now this doesn't mean that in poverty you go without Though sometimes going without for a season is not a bad thing. But you learn generosity within the means God has given you, within the means of being a student, within the means of a casual worker, of a full-time worker, within the means of whatever life situation you have. And not only that, the Macedonian churches we see here were excellent examples because they counted a privilege to give. Not a duty, but a privilege. There's no sense of giving begrudgingly or just because it's a duty, but it was a privilege to them to be able to support, to give, to care. Have a look at verses 3 to 4 with me. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Please give us this opportunity, they were saying. Give us this opportunity to be generous. They pleaded. In the years I've been at our church, at this church, I've heard some say to me, I've got this amount of money that is surplus to our needs. Can it be used somewhere? Or we've just sold our house and we've got some capital, some extra capital. Let me know if anyone is in need. And you can never say such a thing. If the heart is reluctant, or you see it as just mere duty, you would only say it if you see it as a privilege to give. And so the example of generosity we see here, unhindered by trials and unhindered by poverty, and it is to be seen as a privilege. Next we see the extent of generosity. Well, how far should you go? How generous is generous? Well, it's worth remembering, our use of money reflects our heart. Whether you believe in God or not, how you use your money reflects your heart. And so where my heart lies, then my money follows. And we see this all the time. I see it in my own life. And so if my heart lies in good coffee, then my money will follow. I'll spend money on good coffee beans instead of instant coffee. Or if my heart lies in body image, then my money would follow. I'll spend money on makeup and moisturizers and designer clothes. Or if my heart lies in being comfortable, then my money would follow. And I'll spend money on anything that will make my life as comfortable as possible. But if my heart is first given to God, then everything else follows. If my heart is first given to God, then my loyalty follows, my love, my devotion, and my money as well. And that was the extent of the generosity of the Macedonian churches. They gave themselves first to God. So it's not giving just 10% of your heart to God, you see, or 50% of my efforts to God, or even just 80% of my devotion to God. My whole life is to be given to God, first to God. And that includes everything I own. Or more precisely, everything God has entrusted to me. It must never be the case where the hand gives, but the heart holds back when it comes to God. Look at verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, And then to us in keeping with God's will. And so, what this means is that in our giving, in your giving to the church where you belong, where you are spiritually nourished, to the missionaries you partner with, to the poor and the needy, what God wants is not primarily your money. What God wants is your heart first and foremost your worship, your devotion, your loyalty, your love, your life and when your heart is captured by God then your money would naturally follow and it's perhaps a helpful thing to remember that in our giving it is offered to God. We must mustn't ever think that our money is really primarily to pay bills or rates or insurance but it is offered up to God as an expression of our life that is offered up to God and so to what extent are we to be generous well we are told here we are to excel in it now you know how every church has its own flavor every church has its own distinctive flavor Some churches do singing really well, extremely well. I, for one, am very impressed with the boy band we have in our church. Or some churches are known for their faithful Bible teaching. And some churches are known for their evangelistic efforts. But you see, Paul is saying here, all churches are to excel in the grace of giving. At our most recent AGM, I was extremely encouraged by some of the Questions that came from our congregation. Questions like, what are we doing as a church to support those in need? Have we supported churches that have less than us? It was very encouraging to hear that because we want to excel in the grace of giving. And that's what Paul says here. Look at verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. And I'll only excel if I first have already given myself to God. That's the extent of our generosity. It begins in the heart. But now we move on. On what grounds should I give myself to God? Why be generous in the first place when I keep it, can keep it all to myself? What is it that should motivate my heart? Well, it can't be because you are commanded so. There can be no legalism when it comes to giving. If I'm forced to give or I'm guilt into giving, it just means I give begrudgingly or not at all. And that's not going to be pleasing to God. And that's why Paul says here, look at verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. You see, it's not a command, but it is to be motivated by love. It is to be sincere. I want to do this, not because I'm commanded so. I want to. And you are encouraged to be generous to others. That is what is to motivate us as we see also the generosity of others. But the grounds for being generous... So generous is really Jesus Christ himself. God, you see, not only gave us everything we own and have, all our possessions are not ours. They are God's and we are stewards of them. The life we have is not ours. That too is a gift from God. But not only just that, God has given us his beloved son. And what did Jesus do? How generous was Jesus? well, generous enough to even lay down his life for us. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, Jesus denied himself the glory and the perfect joy of heaven to take our place on the cross to experience the poverty of the cross, to be impoverished of even life itself, to die the death we deserve, so that we might now enjoy the riches of eternal life, of fellowship with God, of glory to come. You see, Jesus went from riches to rags, so that we might go from rags to riches. Not riches in the stuff that will corrode and fade away. We, we mustn't think that way. But the treasures of the kingdom of God. And that is the grounds for our generosity. The generosity of Jesus Christ himself for our sake. That is the grounds. And that is what is to motivate us. And so what we must understand here is that our giving is only in response to the grace shown to us. And unless we understand the generosity of God to us first, we'll never end up being generous givers. And the flip side is also true. It is those who are most aware of God's kindness and grace to them in Jesus Christ. It is those who are most secure in Christ and thankful for him that end up being the most generous givers, that end up giving even beyond their ability. And so how do you test yourself if you're being generous? How do you know if you're being generous? It's for all of us to check our own hearts. Well, if my giving does not look like carrying the cross in any way, if it makes no dent in my pocket, if it's only ever my discretionary funds or whatever's left over, it's only the afterthought, or if it's only within my comfort zone, or if it's actually not making me sacrifice anything at all, it means no sacrifice, I'm not letting go of anything, then I don't think we've understood generosity properly. You see, when Jesus carried the cross, it wasn't a little twig he carried. It wasn't just little branches. It was a burden. He was denying himself everything for our sake. And that's the crowns. remember hearing one pastor say to be generous means we feel the squeeze so others don't feel the pinch and he went on to say we deny some of our wants so we can help others in their needs we deny some of our wants so that we can help others in their needs you see I deny myself some of the stuff I want so that I could help someone else in their need and I do so Out of response to the grace of God to me. You see, the generosity of Christians, we see an example here. The example of generosity, neither poverty nor trials should stop me. The extent of generosity, it is to give myself first to God. And the grounds of generosity, it is my Lord who became poor so that I might become rich. Well finally now we turn to the practice of generosity and we'll have more to say about this next week. Firstly we see here it is proportional. It's proportional to what God has entrusted to you. And so what is generous to someone who earns $200,000 a year will look very different to a student earning just youth allowance. The amount is a matter between you and God. But what we want to see in each other is that willingness, that desire, however much or little I have, that eagerness, the heart that has understood the generosity of God. It is proportional. And that's what we see in verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And so it is proportional. Secondly, we see here, it is for equality. Now this is not speaking about some Marxist philosophy, which always sounds good in theory but never works out in practice because the human heart is sinful. What Paul is speaking of here is for some equality so that the churches that have will support the churches that do not have. Now, for several centuries, it's always been the wealthier churches in the Western world sending out missionaries, sending out money to the poorer parts of the world. But as the number of Christians in Africa and South America and China grows in a remarkable turn of events, they are now sending missionaries to other parts of the world. There are even now African missionaries going to the USA. But the principle is for equality. So that the churches that have will support those that do not have, so that churches are supporting one another, and we see that verses 13 to 14. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. Our church, we have had the privilege, and we continue to have that privilege because of your generosity and your financial support that we have been able to financially support the church planting officer, the deaf church, the many mission partners, the mission organizations, the tens of thousands of dollars we get to give away each year. And when a church has asked us in the past, our session, our board, they were happy to help. You see, it's for equality. And finally, it is always, always to be administered faithfully. Now this is an important point because more often than we like to hear, money matters and financial dealings have become the downfall of many Christian organizations or churches and even ministers. It is to be administered faithfully and that's what Paul goes on to speak about. And that's why when Paul spoke about collecting the money from the churches in Corinth so that it could be brought to the brothers and sisters in need in Jerusalem, he was at pains here to detail all that is to be done with utmost transparency. Titus is to be sent along with representatives and trusted people from the different churches. It is to always be administered faithfully. And we see this in verses 20 and 21. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. When I was at Bible college quite a few years ago now and served as a student minister, as part of my training, I remember being warned about the need to be completely above reproach when it comes to money. Always be at arm's length from money. And so I've got a personal policy, not original to me, I adopted from someone else, but a policy that we have implemented for our staff team as well. And that is any monetary gift, from speaking engagements, from camps we do, from funerals, from weddings, where there's a hundred bucks, two hundred, five hundred, a thousand bucks, we don't pocket it though it's always very easy to. You know, just take one note or two notes out. We don't accept it in the first place. That is our policy. But if it's unavoidable, we we receive it with thanks, but then we pass it on. Pass it on to the church or to a missionary. Why? Well, partly because those things we should do out of service and loving service anyway, and because we've been supplied enough by our church, but also because the human heart can be easily drawn into wanting more. And that's why we read here, at pains, taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And so what have we seen today? We'll continue to think about more of this next week, but what have we seen today? Well, we are talking about money, finances, generosity. If you're not yet a Christian, Then you need to hear, God does not want your money. He wants your heart, your devotion, your love. He wants you. He wants you to see, for your sake, Jesus Christ, his son, became poor so that you might become rich in him. But if you are a Christian, then we all have to be challenged by what we have read today, don't we? you know how generous God has been with you. All that you have and are is because of God's kindness to you. And so your life is to be a display of that generosity. Just like the Macedonian churches, even in poverty, even in trials, they counted a privilege to give and even going beyond their ability. And so today, I'm not talking about how much. That's a matter of the heart and your heart before God. I will leave you these questions, however, for you to ponder. What does your giving now show about your heart? Are you excelling in this grace? Have you already first given yourself to God in response to his grace to you? Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great display of grace and generosity to us in Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, he became poor and experienced the poverty of the cross, so that through it we might become rich in all the things that really matter, the things of eternal value. Teach us, Lord, and move our hearts so that our generosity would be beyond our ability, Indeed, in keeping with your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.